Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Anne and Peter Haig. And I'm going to categorize today's program as treats, treats one way okay, or another. Treats, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, starting off with... The, the other amazing thing about it is it's March already. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's March and it's snowing. <laughs> <laughs> What else? Huh? That, that's life. Well, what, well, what are we going to? Pretty soon we're going to be sweltering on, on the beach, right? Anyway, we 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 start we're starting off with one one of our very favorite people who makes one of our very favorite treats, which is all gone. <laughs> which which is all <laughs> thank gone. Thank you, Rabbit. <laughs> thank thank you, sweetheart. Thank you, thank you, thank you, friend Bigelow, all the way from Seattle, for for enriching our life with your wonderful chocolates. Here we go, friend. I I, I really can't <laughs> can't say how long that we've been friends, uh, Fran Bigelow. I've been in love with the chocolate forever. Fran, just take us back a bit. And the business is still called Fran's Chocolates, of course, as it started out. It, it takes back to the beginning. You fell in love with chocolates in France. When was that? Right. Well, well, that was many years before I started France Chocolates. Um, but uh, I started France Chocolates in 1982, and and it was looking for those the wonderful flavors of chocolate that I'd, I'd found um, in Paris. Like you know, it was 10 or 12 years before that, and I just couldn't find in the United States. And I felt it was time to bring out that chocolate flavor and develop the chocolate flavor over sweetness. And at that point, that was something very different in 1982. Yeah, how was that received? I mean... Well, it was, it was, it was received well by, mostly by the people in Seattle that had traveled at that point, got used to European chocolate or had, had moved to the, um, to the Northwest and the Seattle area and, and were here because of that. And it brought back a memory that they had of the fabulous European chocolate that they'd grown up on. And in, in the United States, we had grown up used to, like, much more of a sweeter taste. Yeah, like um, and, and that had started early. And so, and we weren't getting the chocolate. What I finally realized is we weren't getting the chocolate imported from Europe because they didn't think the United States had that that taste for it. They were they were um, sending us a sweeter version of what they had in, in Europe. There's been, there was a similar controversy between my native land, England, and and the <laughs> continent of Europe as well. In fact, I, I always hated milk chocolate, but that was this that was the chocolate that most people ate. Uh huh. Right. Right. And they they said that the Belgians and the French said that's not chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I got I, I got news for you, listeners. Friends, chocolates. It's chocolate. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, that's, I mean, that's, what, that's what we've been trying to do all these years. So I think it, it, it's just been really, really fun. And the, and the chocolate, I mean, as um, more people started realizing that, it, the, the, the quality of the chocolate we've been able to import is better. It's like we've got a, a lot more people that are, are making chocolate um, in the United States. They're looking for chocolate. They're importing those beans. So I think they've finally realized we are a really good market for um, what they have to sell. And it's it's just it's it's 
it's been so much better than when I started. So I think um, all our products have improved along the way, and we've been able to just um, keep moving with the whole whole trend. Now, where where are you sourcing, friend? You're 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 sourcing your cacao from somewhere else, right? Um, we we deal mainly with Valrhona chocolate in France. Okay, got it. And they do they'll do they do a custom blend for us, and then they do different single origin. Um, blends. Um, we've we've moved into um, a lot of organic chocolate um, that we're using for dipping. We're getting some of that out of out of Peru. That they have, they've had wonderful relationships with farmers, and so they can guarantee that you know the chocolate is made and it, it's ethically sourced, and that um, farmers are being paid above market value. And we feel really confident with. Um, all the, all their relationships, and that's been extremely important to us. Also, so right. we feel like we're you know we're getting some of the of the best chocolate, and the, it's um, it's part of the fermentation process and development of flavor. And, and and the plantations they work with are really doing a fabulous job. Well, you know, I mean, the, you offer so many options. Um, of, I mean, you you're always associated with the uh, uh, sea salt and caramel. Uh huh. That, that was the, that was the first that was the first of yours we had. I know. Was it okay? Oh, uh-huh. I, I, that was just I, I, about when it sure. came out. Like right about it, it, we came out with it like in 1998, and so uh-huh. it was really yeah. So, but uh, you know, you I, I have to mention something about your packaging, which I mean, your packaging is so exquisite that you know you're going to have a fabulous flavor and a quality product. Because of your packaging, it's gorgeous. <laughs> well, I started out with that because I thought it was time that people just really took a step aside and sat down and enjoyed their chocolate. You know, it wasn't, I wanted them to make sure it wasn't something that you just like ate one after another after another and didn't really taste, but that you really savored and enjoyed it for the moment. And I think that's what makes it so special around Valentine's Day because that's, um, it's always been associated with the chocolate um, holiday, but it's also one where we sit down and, and, and we decide that we're going to, you know, delight our loved ones or our our family, whoever whoever our special person is, with with a with a treat that day. And I think it's um, it just kind of all falls into place. So it's been one of our favorite holidays to make special, you know, gifting options, special boxes, and different things like oh, your, that. Oh, your presentation is your little round. Art. We, we uh-huh, uh-huh. A, a pink heart-shaped box. But does does it have that piece of redundant information on it called the sell-by date? <laughs> <laughs> well, the box, a lot of our customers bring back their boxes year after year to be refilled. So it, it <laughs> they, they you can always it. get it refilled you get the <laughs> at box. one of our stores. Yeah. They, they bring the box in to be refilled? Yeah, it, it, it becomes... You know, and from, from different, um, it, it's, it's changed over the years, and certain people have this, this one, and they will bring it back, and, 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 um, they'll fill it up again, and then, and we'll, yeah, send it for their, their celebration, because they just, they're attached to them. It's just, just, it's, it's amazing to me that they're saving them that long, so. Well, now, do you give them a discount then on the chocolate, or what, what's the motivation? It's sentimental? It's just sentimental. 
It, it's okay. sentimental. It was, it was, yeah, one of the ones they gave, and it was such a highlight. And they just, yeah, they do it. So well, well, uh, we got we got as a week ago, and it's going to be em- they're going to be empty soon. Well, okay. <laughs> Hello, friend. Let me tell you who's eating the most of it. <laughs> well, well, I, I admit it. I admit it. Well, you know, I I I got this brochure in the mail, and the photography is just so scrumptious, and the. I mean, I, I looked through it and I realized, you know, first of all, we, we had never had your, um, uh, um, fruit dip, chocolate dipped fruit uh-huh. at all. And, and, cause I don't know why we never had it. Um, but, you know, I, I thought we should taste it, but you know, I don't really like chocolate dipped fruit. Uh huh. But yours is different. <laughs> Oh, okay. (laughs) I mean, the Italians just take a piece of dried fruit and dip it in chocolate. Uh huh. You do something else. Tell us about your chocolate. Hold them off. Hold them off for me. You understand? Yeah. Tell 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 us about like. I mean, I was blown away by your ginger. Yeah, yeah. The ginger, the ginger, I thought was the most remarkable. Oh, that's wonderful, wonderful. And that's that's been something that is very popular with our customers, particularly um, for a really palate-cleansing dessert, you know, and something they can eat more often. And I think that people today are looking for that because the ginger is just um, lightly candied in, in, um, in a little bit of sugar syrup. And then, and then coated with that wonderful dark chocolate, and it just kind of um, highlights everything in there and, and makes uh, makes a wonderful finish to a meal. Now, the gold bars new. The gold bars are not new, but yeah, um, it's their signature. I don't think I don't think we've ever had. I don't think we've had any before. Though. Okay, but there they there are a, a product that I came out with way back in the eighties. The caramel. I mean, we've come. Com, um, reformulated the caramel several times, always trying to bring down the sugar level, finding out better ingredients um, as we've moved to more organic products. Um, you know, we, we started out um, that we would use a corn syrup back then. Now we're using a rice syrup um, along with, it's mainly the, the cream and butter and the, and the really slow cooking that's, that's really adding to that flavor um, and, and it sets that apart. And then, then the, the nuts, so that one's, that one's been a signature throughout, um, you know. Now, you really spent a lot of time on product development. I mean, it's not uh-huh. just, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, tell us a little about that. I mean, how, like, you know, I, I mentioned the, um, well, I haven't mentioned the figs yet. I mean, that was something. <laughs> well, those have been early, too, but it was like, <laughs> it's so that you do get inspiration from, from, you know, different different places, and there was always a, you know, a Spanish, they always fill their figs um, with something and dip it in chocolate. And it was trying to decide, like, trying to combine that wonderful, soft, like, truffle-like ganache filling in a deep chocolate and put it in the fig. And it just, it, it just um, is a wonderful combination. And, and especially when you're in that mood for um, fruit, for dessert. And the, and the fig just becomes like your, you know, your whole dessert. Or you can have... A quarter of a fig or half a fig, but it's that luscious chocolate ganache filling, I think, that really sets it off. Yeah, I've been cutting them in half. I mean, they're really rich. <laughs> uh-huh, they are. <laughs> and then Peter eats the other half. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's good. You do like the fruit, right. Uh, who are we talking to who had chocolate-covered coconut? 
There was, some, there was somebody we talked to recently who made a, a candy bar that was was cho- was coconut covered in chocolate. Oh right, yeah, the whole and line we, is, and we, cho- and we, is and we were trying And we were trying to remember the name of the because there's a candy bar in England. Almond Joy is what the kind of no, that's no. what it looked like or tasted like. No, we 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 figured it out. We figured out it was called a Bounty. Bounty. Oh, no, no. oh okay, okay. Cause we we do a coconut bar also. I should have said. Oh you sure, you know, that, that's that's what that's what led me to the thought. Uh-huh. But we 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 had gotten one from somebody else, and I can't remember who it was, and we just couldn't remember. I used to buy them when I was a small child with my with my ration. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that was like yeah. a. <laughs> yeah. I used to buy a Mounds bar here. There you <laughs> that's go. It. And then so yeah, and that was that was an inspiration for me was to try to make a you know a coconut bar with dark chocolate but i also always wanted the almonds in the almond joy uh-huh. so we combined the almonds <laughs> and the coconut and the dark chocolate so i got what i wanted it was a little mm-hmm. bit you, you missed because sugar stayed on ration in england uh-huh. until well into the 1950s uh-huh because because of the wartime shortage problems so you got a a, a coupon book and each child got a coupon. You could cash it in once a week. Uh, really? It was, well, it was Saturday. I used to go to the sweet shop. My <laughs> sister remembers we we used to go together, and we would spend our sugar ration, and then we wouldn't have any more till next week. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to believe it's so. Uh, but it makes it special too. I mean, you really did look forward to that. You know, that's a, that's a great thing. Well, you know, I mean, I, I want to convey, you know, how how really particular you are, and down to the smallest detail, um, and and it's fresh. I mean, your your, your products. Are, you even have um, the the dates on, like the the figs. I think it's like five uh-huh. days or something, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, how did you get to to doing that? I mean, well, we we decided we just we wanted to offer people the product when it was at its best. And if they got into the idea uh, that it was it was something that you ate more often, it, it's not something you put away and save for like three or four weeks and then decide to eat it because it, it's not going to be at that same level. Uh-huh. Um, and many times, you know, some people will say, well, well nothing changes. Well, it, it doesn't change, but it's just not that, um, you know, exquisite flavor you get from the beginning because you get that real taste of the chocolate. I think chocolates, um, when they're stored at room temperature, you know, they, they absorb other flavors. Uh-huh. And so whatever they're stored around, they'll kind of absorb something. And someone will say, oh, I didn't really like that chocolate because it, it had sort of an off flavor. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, it's off because uh, they, it, it, chocolate just absorbs other other things when it gets, you know, above like 65 68 degrees and and other products particularly like if you put it somewhere in your kitchen and you have you know onions or garlic or anything anything nearby or something else in your in your cupboard it's going to pick up some of that so what we think is we're giving people the idea of the best time to eat it and of course it's going to be fine for two weeks but um and three weeks and even four but you just may not be experiencing it at, at its very best. 
Well, that's. A, I mean, I think that's very good because it's a it's a really premium, super premium product, and you want it at its best. Mm-hmm. You do, you do, you know. And I think the customers deserve that, and I think it's 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 really um, just makes it uh, much better. Now, who do, who does your packing packaging materials? Because they are they are so wonderfully elegant. Um, we we work with a couple of different suppliers, and and they will help us. Um, I started out doing most of, of the design work for the packaging, but now um, Andrina, my daughter, who's the CEO, and Dylan, who's who's in charge of the chocolate, they they have a big say in in, in what we go for and the colors. And we always um, we always also were interested in giving people another reason to come back, and so we ch- like to change with the seasons so that the chocolate seems fresh. And we have new things like for Easter. It's going to be exciting again with other colors and and different products that that will come out for Easter. And so I just think that's part of the um, appeal of a of a chocolate shop, and that that's what we should offer our customers so that they kind of delight in coming in and 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 seeing what we have that's that's fresh and new for them. So well, there's, so, there's so much. So, so, I'm looking at this Chewbacca box. Uh-huh. Tell us about that. That is is um, the, the papers are made in in Japan and they're hand silk screened and it's it, it's rice paper it's handmade washi rice paper and um, I had a um, I was introduced to it a long time ago and then I through a friend of a friend found someone who was still really hand silk screening the papers and it, it's out of Tokyo and it's Masumi Corporation and it they're just they're absolutely exquisite, and he um, he decided that he would do a special box for us. Um, he normally does these boxes, and it it fit with our chocolate. You know, it fit with everything about it, and I think that the, um, their care with packaging was just what I wanted to do. He normally did boxes that held screens. Um, and um, kimonos for the wow. for the Japanese, and that was in his family. And so he would, you know, change the scrolls in the museums. And he said, "Oh no, I, I would like to try this." So um, it's, it's been a relationship that's been going on now, like um, over fifteen, sixteen years. And we have a, um, you know, a, a, a nice Northwest um, Asian population, and you know, we're very close to. Um, Japan and the Orient, so that the planes go back and forth a lot. So we've we've had it, we've had great response from it, and then we started also doing um, lacquer boxes, so that we had something that, yeah. to to offer people if they wanted to give a special gift, but also give some chocolates with it, and they thought they wanted to spend a little bit more on their um, on the person they were gifting, and and that's turned out to have a tremendous response also. So we well, have um, a very dynamic R and D department, I have to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's always something one happening. Of the, yeah. um, you have a, yeah. a lot of information on your website. Why don't you give our listeners the website? Um, it's it's www.frans.com. Yeah, very simple. F R A N S. Uh huh. So and how do people get some? Can you tell us about? Obviously, you can order online, but do you go out through retail shops too? Yes. Yes, we have we have a limited number of things that we sell in in retail shops, and and you can find those things, and those are usually the 
um, caramel items with the, right. and the gold bars, and then our sauces because we do a you know a yeah. caramel, a chocolate sauce, and Which a is wonderful, yeah. raspberry. And those we think have longer shelf life and will stand up to to being out um, out for longer. So, but you um, can always eat them out of the. You can eat them out of the jar with food. Yes, you can, <laughs> and we encourage it. <laughs> well, Fran, you've made this incredible business out of uh, of a natural interest and ability you have. I mean, what's left for you to do? <laughs> well, there's a lot. There is a lot. So. <laughs> Uh, do you I have just, a long to do list? Or what? Huh? Yeah, I do. I do. I do. You know, <laughs> I think now with, with um, just opening those stores in Japan, now they're interested in more things. So it's like, oh wait, you know, now we've got a whole nother, you know, series of things we should come out with and things we should look at to that would appeal to the Japanese taste. And it's just um, now, what are they interested in? Well, things using matcha, which I hadn't really, we oh, right. just yeah. had a couple that's things a thing, that yeah. had a matcha filling and that's, so that's been exciting to work with the matcha. Now we're working, I'm working on like with, um, with sesame products and sesame, uh, sesame filling. Oh, this and, is big time. I mean, you know, I get all this stuff all the time. Uh-huh. And, um, oh, I mean, I don't know how much, uh, a tahini I've, I've had and uh-huh. books about it now uh-huh. too. I mean, uh-huh. it's like, yeah, you could chocolate wrap those little tahini bars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's 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 a whole new yeah, whole new thing. Big so it's, thing. It's they grow good. sesame seeds grow in Africa, so that's a whole other area too. Uh huh. Uh huh. So um, yeah. Well, no, there is it's big time. No, there are more things than lots of things to eat. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, and it's and it's all very good. And then it's just like, yeah, you re- I think the one thing we keep coming back to is it has to, you know, fit our flavor profile. And once it does that and brings out the flavor of whatever we're trying to um, experiment with, it it really um, it really becomes fun. Well, I admire you. Um, I lust after your product as always. Okay. And so does Peter. And, oh, well, stay in uh, yeah, touch. I, I think, know. Yeah, your, your business sense and, and your, your children. I'm so glad they're excited about it too. They are. They are. So that gives you a sense of purpose right there. It's all uh-huh. ongoing. Yeah. So keep us posted and, um, so I can talk to you more often. Okay. That's perfect. Okay. Wonderful. I look forward to it. Thanks, Brian. Uh-huh. Thank you. Okay, don't go away because we're going to be talking sweet after the break. Right? Yes. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back. Our next guests are kind of magicians uh, with so much credentialing that you'll be amazed by how, how uh, talented and knowledgeable they are. I mean, there's um, Dr. Anisha Patel, who is a, a doctor. She's a, a pediatric, I mean, she's a pediatrist at a very prestigious uh, children's hospital in California. Um, and uh, then we have Jennifer Tyler Lee, 
um, who who does the recipe side, and they're both dedicated to making sure that that you your kids get a healthy start and and have a healthy lifestyle embedded in them. So you should get this book called Half the Sugar, All the Love, and uh, the recipes are pure genius. Everybody seems to know that too much sugar is a health hazard, too much sugar in your diet. Um, although I wonder if that's the, I wonder if that's the case, why we're all born with a sweet tooth. I, by the way, do not have one. So, <laughs> uh, but you know, the first taste that the babies want is sweet, is sweet right? Yes. Um, Are you there? This is Anisha. Okay. I yes, most babies. Anisha, the by the way, has an MD after her name, as well as an MSPH. So she yes, knows so what I'm she's a, talking about. <laughs> I'm a pediatrician at Stanford University, and um, I agree. I think that um, infants, you know, they are the first beverages or foods that they're getting exposed to is breast milk. And then some infants are also um, taking in formula. And both of those um, beverages, you know, do have some sugar. Breast milk does have, um, doesn't have added sugar, however. It has, you know, milk sh- sugars that are present in breast milk. Um, mm-hmm. And those are typically, it is a sweet flavor um, as compared to, you know, water, which doesn't have any um, sweetness. Uh, but I think the key is children are you know, forming their dietary preferences early in life between birth and age five. And so it really is important to introduce them to non-sweet foods and beverages as well early on so that they're able to accept less sweet foods and beverages. And I know Jen probably has something to say about this as well. Yeah, I think it's it, it does start early with uh, breastfeeding, but it also extends into as they're having first foods, and getting into the toddler stage, it can seem for parents that it's much easier to sell the sweeter foods than the less sweet foods. So whatever we can do to establish preferences for a wider variety of fruits and vegetables that include some of the less sweet options is a good thing. Now, I'm going to step back a minute because I, I sort of rushed into this. I was so eager to understand about this. Um, and we're going to be talking, listeners, to Jennifer Tyler Lee and Anisha Patel. And the book is called Half the Sugar, All the Love, a family cookbook, which gives you some idea at what audience this is directed towards. And in, in the book, we're going to have a 100 easy low-sugar recipes for all day long for whatever you're going to be eating. And in the introduction, they start out right away saying uh, why – we should reduce added sugar. So why don't you give us a brief account of why we should? And why don't we do that with um, uh, Jennifer? Sure. Um, And Anisha can talk to this too, but when you look at the data, we're currently consuming about three times more added sugar than the recommended daily limit. Um, Without even realizing it, right? Without even realizing it, right. And children are really supposed to, uh, under the age of two, and Anisha talked about this, under the age of two, they're really not supposed to have any added sugar consumption. But 
um, as they get a little bit older, limiting to six teaspoons a day is what the American Heart Association recommends, and most children are at about three times that number. That's true of adults, too. And part of it is, it's in the it's in the things that we drink, right? Um, oh, it's also awesome. in the yeah. foods that we eat, and sometimes when we're not expecting it. So yeah, well, you know, I remember. I think she might have been four, and my granddaughter said to me, "Nana, I love candy, and I love chocolate, and I love um, what else did she say? She, I mean, she listed. She went through this whole lineup of." sugared foods <laughs> and that's what she loved and and, and yeah, tragically tra- 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 she knew thing. hold on a second I'm tra- tra- yes. the tragedy of it is that her parents were feeding it to her <laughs> well and I think we'd say it's, it's okay to enjoy a treat and there are going to be times when you're going to enjoy a treat but know when you're having it and also, um, you know, the book is all about exploring other ways to build interesting flavors and sweet flavors with fruits and vegetables instead of added sugar. And um, in many cases, you can have that caramely, delicious sweetness when you use medjool dates instead of brown sugar, for example. Uh-huh. So the dates are better. Well, this brings up a really great point around fiber. Exactly. Um, Anisha, maybe you want to talk through how fiber plays a role. I'd be happy to. So, um, you know, one thing just to kind of, um, you know, set everyone on the same level field in terms of what added sugar means. So added sugar is, you know, when you're adding sugar to a food or a beverage either at the table or even when, you know, when the people who make the foods and beverages, they're adding sugar to foods and beverages because it helps to make um, these products more shelf-stable, also increases the flavor of products that may not be in season. So an example is a tomato soup that's made with, you know, tomatoes that aren't in season and aren't sweet, so you add some sugar sugar. to make it taste a little better, right? They do that with pasta sauce, too. Exactly. So that's added sugar versus the sugar that's intrinsic in natural foods. So, you know, in milk, you have lactose. In fruits, you know, you have fructose. But the difference there is those sugars are actually accompanied by nutrients that are essential for health and well-being. So an example would be, you know, in this milk, when you have milk and you have lactose, you also have vitamin D and calcium. Or if you have this fruit that you're eating, you're getting fiber, you're getting vitamin C or other vitamins. And so the fiber is really protective because two, well, there's many reasons, but one is it helps to slow absorption of the sugar so you're not getting a big hit of this big bolus of sugar. Your bloodstream isn't saying, oh, no, there's all the sugar coming at us. How are we processing this? Um, So that's one thing. The second thing is that um, the sugar, when it's naturally occurring and accompanied by fiber, fiber can also help you um, feel more full. So another example for that is if you're drinking an orange juice, let's say you have a glass of orange juice, that orange juice is made from three oranges. But it'd be pretty difficult for a child to actually consume three oranges in one sitting because of all that great fiber that's there. And, you know, the child will probably be full after one orange versus the orange juice. You're not getting any of the fiber there. It's easy to drink all of that sugar and not feel full. 
and a lot of times when you're drinking a beverage that has sugar and doesn't have fiber, you instead of you know feeling full and not eating as much, you actually tend to eat the same amount. So that's why it's important to think about fiber as well. Um, mm-hmm. Fiber can also help to protect the gut, um, preserve the microbiome, and the good gut flora. So that's another important thing um, to consider when thinking about fiber and benefits. I want, I want to do two things two things at once while I have the microphone. What, what, one is that there are some really evil things, like uh, what's what's the stuff that's made out of corn syrup? High fructose corn oh, syrup. Yeah. High fructose, High fructose corn, syrup, corn syrup, which is apparently has no nutritional value, but <clears throat> sure as hell is bad for you. Yes, so actually there's a lot of misinformation about what is added sugar and what counts as an added sugar. So high fructose corn syrup has definitely gotten a bad rap. It is processed differently um, in terms of the way that your body metabolizes high fructose corn syrup. It's metabolized more preferentially through the liver as compared to some other sugars. But generally speaking, all added sugars are, in the end, they have the same impact on health in terms of promoting heart disease, high cholesterol levels, um, abnormal cholesterol levels, even fatty liver disease, diabetes. You have a whole so, page of these listed. Yes. And if anybody <laughs> would take the chance to look at it, it goes palm sugar, cane sugar, coconut sugar, agave exactly. nectar, honey, agave syrup, barley milk. Well, well, hold on. <laughs> Turbidado. I had another question because uh, there are these products out there which I think are naturally occurring products like stevia mm-hmm. for example yeah which, which you're raising uh, a really uh, great are, point are they, are, they, are they just as bad yeah Thank do you want to talk about that great, sure Peter this is Jennifer um, stevia is a great example and there are a couple others that fall in there like monk fruit um, and a lot of people will talk about well you know I'm cutting down on my added sugar, I'm using stevia instead. And here's the problem. Stevia is 200 to 400 times sweeter than sugar. <laughs> and so when you substitute it, um, what, what ends up happening is you consume something that's very sweet, but the other systems in your body, you don't get that insulin reaction and it's a little bit confusing. So your body says, well, what is really going on, right? Oh, that wow. doesn't make sense to me. Um, and it may lead you to crave more sweets um, than what you were trying to do in the first place. Oh, dear. So there's, there's definitely, Anisha has a great example of a study that was done with artificial sweeteners versus regularly sweetened um, soda. And Anisha, maybe you want to highlight that example because I think it illustrates a great point. Sure. So there was a couple studies actually where they performed this, you know, in a kind of experimental setting where they had like a lab room and they had individuals come in and they gave them, um, you know, either a diet drink soda versus a full sugar soda. And they also gave them some snacks to consume. So they had um, some savory snacks and some sweet snacks. And they had these individuals consume either the full sugar soda or the diet soda. And they found that the individuals who consumed the diet soda were more likely to go for those sweet foods um, (laughs) after drinking it. And so 
it just kind of shows you that the way that your body's responding to these beverages may not be, um, you know, actually there was a study last week that came out that showed that maybe these artificial sweeteners are also linked to increased um, insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't, I think, find it for stevia, but for some of the other um, artificial sweeteners, they did find a relationship. So I think it's just really great to think about um, and to evaluate these artificial or even natural sweeteners um, that are non-caloric like stevia or monk fruit. Um, the other issue that Jen, um, I think, was mentioning as well was that some of these um, sweeteners, such as stevia, that are newer, they aren't fully um, regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. They have this other designation, which is generally recognized as safe. And so we just don't have enough evidence on their long-term impacts, particularly for children. And so that's why in the book we we kind of are stating that we prefer that you use minimal amounts of um, sugar that, you know, even honey or maple syrup or to flavor with fresh fruits and vegetables when possible rather than using these alternative sweeteners. Now, the interesting thing is from, from 1945 until the early 1950s, a, a lot of people who sweetened things like coffee and tea used a product called saccharin because Sugar was hard to find. Sugar, sugar was rationed, so you couldn't get you, you couldn't get as much of it as perhaps you wanted. And so you could use this, which what I can only assume must have been some kind of chemical product that you could use instead. Saccharin. Yeah. Saccharin. Yeah, there are there are many alternatives um, that are both artificial and some of them yeah, natural, like India, but fast food restaurants have little packages, packageable. They used to have, yeah. I, I think, too, the really um, important message that we're trying to share in the book is that you can create these delicious flavors and enjoy the foods that you love when you sweeten them with fiber-rich fruits and vegetables. And okay, so that's they're, the overall beyond just the sweetness too. Um, that when you're using those fruits and vegetables, those are things that we need to consume more of. Now, your your book is particularly oriented towards young people, and I, I noticed one of the things you include in many of the recipes is what children can do while you're cooking up this sweet uns, unsweetened product for them. So, and presumably because they're a part of its creation, they they will eat it and like it because they help make it. Right. Yeah, that's a really core principle in the way that we cook um, is to engage kids in the process because kids who are, are part of that process and who learn how to cook are more likely to eat well. And, um, you know, in many ways, you're setting them up for a lifetime of healthy habits if you're teaching them those skills of how to cook. Even something as simple as make a salad dressing with, you know, pear and a little bit of olive oil and some Dijon mustard. And it doesn't doesn't have to be complicated to teach them how to cook. It can be something very simple. But engaging them in the kitchen um, really helps set them up for a lifetime of healthy habits. Have you kid-tested these recipes? Yeah, so actually Anisha's kids tested the recipes, my kids tested the recipes, and many others as well. But um, we, I had a um, an interesting way of developing the recipes. What I did was 
Um, I worked with a couple of my friends who are also chefs, and together we collaborated to sort of develop the recipe. And then once we had something that we thought was working, um, I had my daughter, who was maybe 14, 13, 14 at the time, make the recipe start to finish without any assistance from me. And uh, my goal was to see, you know, if somebody with, that reading level and that level of cooking experience could make the dish on their own, um, then we had a winner. So uh, it was really important that the recipes were easy um, and also used common ingredients that are probably already in your pantry so that you don't feel like you have to go out and find something special. And they were not a hard sell to help make them, you say. Right, well, and that too. Right. So easy, easy preparations like the double chocolate brownies, for example, that we sweeten with sweet potato and almond butter, that recipe is made in the food processor, which, first of all, is fun, right? Kids just love that when you can use a piece of equipment like that, kitchen equipment like that. But it's also really easy and fast. So it sort of has a double, double bonus. And, you know, this is Anisha again, but as you were alluding to, there are some studies that have shown that children who even are watching food shows where kids are actively preparing foods um, are more likely to eat healthier options and be more interested in cooking. So I think just the act of um, participating, not only that, but also the family meal aspect of it. We know that children, when they're involved in eating meals with their families, they're more likely to have healthier, not only dietary behaviors, but also talk to their families more about their school day, have better health, mental health outcomes, less eating disorders. So there's a number of benefits to, you know, working with your family in the kitchen and eating yeah, meals you've with got to, I mean, you've got to start it really early. I, mean, I remember when um, our son was in the, uh, uh, was the two- or three-year-old program, um, when people had a birthday, you could bring in a cake. And, you know, so people kept bringing in all these cakes. And, and, you know, and so I took a carrot cake with, um, uh, what was it, a cream cheese frosting or something. You should have seen the expressions on their face. They <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they were excited. <laughs> <laughs> it was awful. So. Now, now what what about Nutella? Oh, Nutella. Kids love Nutella. Now, this is Nutella. (laughs) We have a version of, right, our our new version of the chocolate hazelnut spread that's so popular. And that one that you can buy at the store, and there are different versions of it, but um, is generally packed with added sugar. And so, carcinogenic something or other. You know, I think there's a lot of benefit to making that at home, right? It only takes a few simple ingredients. And it's so, it's flavorful and easy and fun to make. And we actually have two versions of the book. There's one that we make with toasted hazelnuts. That's a more traditional chocolate hazelnut spread. And then... For families who struggle with nut allergies, and Anisha's family right. has has that issue, um, we make a version with pumpkin seeds and sunflower seeds oh, nice. so that you can have a nut-free version of that similar spread. 
Well, I don't know. You sold me. <laughs> so, it's she a good one to give us teacher gifts too. She, she doesn't. She doesn't like. She doesn't like sugar in anything. So I mean, I don't have any. I don't. I just don't like sugar. Now you're eating chocolate right now. Right, right? now, I've, I found a. Um, it's a, 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 an orchard with fruits and nuts that. Uh, partnered with Jacques Torres, the famous chocolate and it's, and it's oh, enrobed. Enrobed in dark chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds obscene, doesn't it? I really wish they'd go real fast because I'm, I'm really tempted by those and I don't, I'm hardly ever test, tempted by sweets. I'm eating them as fast as I can, but. <laughs> I gave some away. They love them too. <laughs> Well, that is another thing Jen could talk about is how a lot of the recipes highlight dark chocolate because it has a lower um, added sugar content and can really enhance the flavor. So, you know, instead of using chocolate chips, milk chocolate chips, you can use dark chocolate chips. Oh, so um, it's better and, for me, this dark chocolate, huh? I, yeah, that's one where it's an easy swap and um, oftentimes you don't notice much of a difference. Um, so that is one of the, one of the key tricks that we use in the book. I mean, there are real three, really three principles. So we use primarily the fiber-rich fruits and vegetables to build the sweetness and the flavor, uh, without or with less added sugar. Um, nuts and seeds are another key ingredient that we use, um, to help build sweetness. Like, um, pecans off are used throughout the book because they have a lot of natural sweetness. They, When you add nuts and seeds as well, it helps add texture, which is another interesting element, so you're missing the sugar a little bit less. And then the third major area is, um, would be spices. So in the recipes, you'll see that the spices used are generally in larger quantities than you would see normally, and that, that's, that's, again, to help build up and um, enhance flavor without added sugar. Brilliant. Brilliant idea, yeah. Well, I think that this is worth the price of the book. It's half the sugar, all the love, uh, listeners. And again, it's by Jennifer Tyler Lee and Anisha Patel. And um, I mean, I think it's never too early to, to start teaching children about healthful eating and giving them helpful eating habits. So thank you, um, both of you, for your contributions to the book and for talking to us. Thanks so much for having having us us on the show. Yeah. (laughs) Great. All right. And let us know when you come out with another one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure Jen's working on the next one now. <laughs> it's a long development cycle. That's yeah. going to be a few years because all the testing takes a long time. Okay. Well, we're going to stop the recorder now. So, um, talk to me when you do one on, on, on low carb potatoes. <laughs> oh yeah, that is that's always hard. <laughs> okay. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye bye now. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net.
And we've been talking about indulgences of the sort. Um, mine happened, my indulgences of choice happened to be carbs. <laughs> and boy, I found a treasure trove in, in this book called Beer Bread. I had no idea you could have so many different kinds of, of beer bread. Um, but listen to Laurie Rice. Uh, and, and become amazed at the possibilities. I just want somebody to move in and shouldn't bake she, them for me. Shouldn't she be called like Laurie Wheat or Laurie <laughs> Bali? <laughs> anyway, as, as Anne said, here's Laurie Rice talking about beer bread. Laurie Rice opened up a whole new world for me. I didn't realize I was missing beer bread. But believe me, from reading these recipes, I surely have missed a lot. The subtitle of this is Brew-Infused Breads, Rolls, Biscuits, Muffins, and More. And let me put the emphasis on more because these are just absolutely eye-opening, mind-blowing recipes. Uh, Thank you so much for this book, Lori. Oh, thank you. That's so nice to hear. (laughs) Oh, I mean... I could just go through this book and read the titles of the uh, recipes to make people <laughs> want to die. Well, yeah, the, the neat, the neat, well, the neat thing is there is no permission slip required to drink the rest of the beer. Correct. <laughs> That's correct. That's right. Um, tell us a little bit about um, what got you started on making beer bread. So I have a bit of a baking history. Uh, I started. My, my educational background is actually in nutritional sciences, but I started working in bakeries uh, in the end of high school and college. So I was uh, baking bread, breakfast sweets, and things like that in a bakery, and um, it's kind of one of those things that comes full circle that I ended up many years later writing a bread book. But it also combines a passion, two passions for me, and the other is craft beer. Um, my husband and I uh, love to travel. And we really got into the history and the art of beer when traveling in Europe. Back in the States, of course, there's been a craft beer boom, so that interest just keeps on going. And so when it comes to combining the two with beer, it plays on a kind of a historic recipe that's been around for many years where you just making beer bread with beer and self-rising flour and salt. But this book takes the idea of using beer and just expands on it. So how does beer, you know, react with yeast breads and sweet breads and flat breads? So um, it just gets to play on, on a lot of passions for me and becomes really fun in the kitchen. And it starts to get a bit complicated, right? There's, there's some, chemis- some chemistry that's a bit complicated in there. Yeah, the beer, apparently the ferment, the ferment uh, is by the time you're using the beer, and it's not really ferment anymore in terms of your dough, right? Well, it's not the yeast. By the time you open a bottle or a can of beer, the yeah. yeast is likely no longer active. So what you're getting, it, it, it's complicated, but it's not. Uh, the science of it deep down may be a little bit complicated, but the process of baking with it is not at all. Um, so what beer is adding to the bread really as far as rise goes, is a bit of carbonation. But then it's adding those, you know, those malty, grainy notes that really complement 
you know, the basis of bread, which is also the basis of beer. So it's a flavor, it's picking up flavor from the beer. Yeah, you do, you do. Uh, there's a complement of flavor with the graininess and maltiness that can come from the beer depending on what style you're using. Yeah, I mean, it varies with what, what particular style beer you're using too. Well, you can't go wrong because she deletes, she, she has all that explained in the book. Yes. I mean, there's so why, much in that's here. What, I mean, that's why I knew about it. Innovative, inventive recipes. I mean, look at this. Listen to this, listeners. She has a recipe for grilled cherry and prosciutto fruit ale pizza. I mean, wow. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to make that when we come over, right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 I'm getting depressed because I really want all this stuff, and I know there's not open hell that I'm going to bake it. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, part of the fun was not only creating the the breads, but you know uh, when you're when you're writing a cookbook and it's a single subject cookbook, <laughs> you have to get a bit creative with not just having the same thing over and over again. So that's why I. I went on to a flatbread section, which turned into some pizzas and stuff. So the basis of those flatbreads are beer. But then um, I also kind of incorporate some of the concepts from my first cookbook, Food on Tap, which is cooking with craft beer. So some of those ingredients and toppings and things like that, uh, we'll use beer as well. Now, you, you said you um, thank thanking your husband because uh, he was happy to face tables full of bread every night <laughs> yeah um so all yeah all of the breads are very delicious but whenever you have them in front of you in volume for you know six plus months <laughs> it can be a little bit overwhelming and you don't really feel like cooking much else after you've baked and cooked all day so I <laughs> um i appreciated his um, willingness to try everything and to not complain about it always being around. Okay, well, how are we going to give a concept overall for this? Uh, why don't you explain how you organize the book and what the kinds of things you're including in it and maybe mm-hmm. mention some of your most favorite of the recipes. Sure. Yeah, so when I organized the book, uh, I mentally split it into different categories. I knew that while I wanted to do yeast breads, I also wanted to do some quick breads that would be easier to make. And then I also wanted to use some more advanced techniques in the book. So with all of those ideas in my head, what became was the first section was really, it doesn't come first in the book, but mentally for me, the first section was the slice and serve chapter, which mm-hmm. is uh, yeast breads that could be sliced and, and served as meals or with sandwiches and those kinds. And then from there... I thought about yeast rolls, so there are a chapter on rolls. And then I went to quick bread, so there's a whole chapter that are just kind of, it's stir and bake, so it's just adding the beer and flour, no rising time. And so then that, that became a chapter on its own. And I always, I'm really drawn to breakfast and brunch. So there were some breads that I really felt like pulled out that fit both categories. Um, for example, like an Irish soda bread. You know, there's no yeast in that, but it's also not exactly a quick bread. So I went ahead and created a start-the-day kind of breakfast chapter that combines a lot of different 
breads, you know, that would fall in different categories. Does that have a glass um, of grappa on the side? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, and then so, and then there's the flatbread section, which we talked about. And then I also, in the book, I added a topping and spread yeah. uh, section just to kind of add compliments. They're all toppings that w- that use beer in them for the different breads in the book. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I have... Um, you know, you already know I don't bake, and and so I'm always stuck about this dessert thing. We're having um, company for dinner, and I have a um, a panettone in the uh, refrigerator, and uh-huh. I was trying to figure out how to make that into actually a dessert dessert instead of just a breakfast thing. Uh-huh. And, and I was looking, and do any of these spreads sound like they'd work? Like Chocolate almond stout spread. Uh, to put on your panettone? Yeah. Um, let's see. So panettone, it has fruits in it. Um, maybe the, the porter caramel spread might be pretty good with it. Maybe the strawberry coriander jam. Oh, Those that might work. Good. Well, it was my idea. Anyhow, looking through here that I might be able to pull that off. Here's mm-hmm. salted dark, dark chocolate cherry fruit ale bread. Uh huh. So I like salted lime. What's G-O-S-E bread? Is that a type of beer? Gosa. Uh-huh. Yeah, Gosa has, is a, a, it's an older style that is coming back into fashion. Um, you'll see it around the States a lot more. So it often has a, it's often tart, and it has a salty kind of sea components to it. It's a bread. Gosa is a beer. It's a beer. Okay. It's a beer. Okay. Oh, you have the book. I can't. I can't. I can't see what it. I can't see what it says. Is it like that? Is it like that sour beer, which I don't like? <laughs> I do. Yes, I like. You like sour there beer? There are very few beers that I do not like. <laughs> well, you know, every time we go to one of these um, beer tasting menus, what they in a restaurant or you know for chefs thing, they um, they always have sour beer, and I can't stand it. It just it doesn't work the same as, as other beer or even wine would do for me or even sake. Uh-huh. So I don't like sour beer. I, I don't like Yeah, we all have our favorites for yeah. sure. <laughs> Here's wine barrel aged grape and rosemary focaccia. Tell us about that. Um, so there are a lot of beers that are out that you'll find at different experimental breweries that are they're either using things like grape must in the brewing process or they're aging oh. the beer in wine barrel. Um, and some, which you all may not like, but a lot of sour beers they will do that with, but other, other styles as well. Um, so I used, I decided to use a wine grape infused type of a beer to create a flatbread or focaccia that then has, uh, some grapes set in you know, the focaccia. So that's kind of where that idea I mean, I, well, I was going to ask you how people should use it, but I guess you just start at the beginning and cook your way through and make your way through, right? Oh, the book? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, kinda, I think it depends on, you know, your serving, uh, what you're wanting. Are you wanting something for breakfast? Are you wanting something to serve with a soup or to create sandwiches? I think that can kind of guide you. Yeah, is there one that goes with chicken soup? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Sure, sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then, I had another. What was that? I was. Oh yeah, you're you're one of the few people that um, has written about baking bread that references something which I always thought was very important is the therapeutic aspect of of making bread. Yeah, I think it's true. Oh yes, definitely. Um, 
I think a lot of people who both bake and cook, uh, it's a form of therapy for them in the sense that you kind of lose yourself in the process. For me, baking bread is very much like that, and specifically yeast breads. I enjoy the kneading process, you know, and waiting for the rise and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's also handy to have a beer on the side, right? Definitely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think this is a, a whole new horizon for me. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, but that's great, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know all this existed. Um, listeners, it, it's Laurie Rice who has a good track record of, of writing and also about beer. And so you can kind of trust what she's telling you. And she's, you explain everything very clearly and very simply, actually, even for somebody like me to understand it who doesn't bake and doesn't know beer. <laughs> very good. I'm glad to hear that. That's oh, definitely my goal. Oh, yeah. I mean, you clever, you're very clear. I mean, <laughs> you're straightforward with it. Um, and so, listeners, you're going to know how much you're going to, how much trouble you're going to have making any of this by just reading her instruction. Um, again, it's Lori Rice and it's beer bread, which is a whole category that if you don't know about it, you should investigate. And it's breads, rolls, biscuits, muffins, and more. Lori, thank you very much. And um, I'm sorry it doesn't really come with somebody who's going to bake all these for me. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you all having me on. It's been wonderful to talk to you and about the book, and I really appreciate your excitement around it. Oh, we're much. I hope, I'm wishing you much success with this. Thank you. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm not kidding about this, by the way, <laughs> but I really want some of these breads, and I don't know what to do because I, I can't would bake them on a bed. <laughs> Oh, so perhaps you buy the book for someone else and ask them to bake it for you. Oh, my <laughs> daughter-in-law. <laughs> hey, my daughter-in-law, she likes to bake. That's an idea. She, uh, yeah, she would like this. It's a very, okay. very strategic gift-giving. Well, that's good. That's a good thing to have. <laughs> so, Jen, if, you, if, you're, if you're listening, <laughs> remember you've been signed up to bake bread based on this wonderful book from Laurie Rice. And uh, we'll have more wonderful interviews, same time, same place next week. So be sure to join us then. And in the meantime, bye-bye.